when was the last time we did a podcast episode just us two it's been a while that's a good right question. yeah i don't know it's been a great que- that's a great question dude uh it was uh i believe the tech episode right yeah it was a tech episode because then we had we had daniel Sixto and sadie and then right. alex and naki and kat the best part about it, dude, is like when you ask questions, but you already know the answer to. So it's like, <laughs> wait, what so, are you referring to? So like, you know, you know how people typically ask questions, right? But then it's like, oh, they're asking you the question, but like they already know the answer. So and you're just like, oh, wait, well, no, what's the answer? And then they tell you it's like it, it, it'd be that way. It really do. <laughs> it really is. Um, but with that being said, welcome to our second episode of the well of 2021 i was referring to 2021 for the missing bridge in america and today we got a we got a juicy episode in store for you guys so we actually we wanted to have a guest but we're we wanted to catch up a little bit on what has been happening with the biden presidency and also the stock market as well and certain things that have taken place because with i believe 24 executive orders if uh, um Correct. A lot has happened during his presidency in the past two weeks, right? And we just want to talk about that today. We want to talk about just catch up on his presidency and catch up on certain things that have happened after the riots and after he got inaugurated a few weeks ago and focus on that primarily. And then maybe next week we'll have a guest for you guys. But first, before we start the podcast, I want to say, stop what you're doing. Close the Spotify app. Go to Instagram. And follow the missing bridge on Instagram. If yes. you're not following on our, our Instagram page, you need to. We're gonna be doing updates. And even though we it, we took kind of like a two month break for for December and January, we're we're coming back strong. We had a lot of things yep. planned, and yep. you're gonna see all the updates there. So when we have a new episode, you may be the first one to see it, as Gannon likes to say. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a strong privilege because yep. we see that. Well, you're mm-hmm. the first one to like the post. You're the first one to see the story. You want to be that person. All right. Yes, absolutely. Well, with that being said, again, you want to add anything before we, we get started? So the reason why I'm, if y'all could see me, right? I'm wearing a hat, sunglasses, and a jacket, right? I'm dressing like Killer Keemstar out here, bro, because we have to, this is the right occasion for it. It's a two-man episode. We're back at it like the good old days, right? COVID episode. And what was the first guest episode we had? Nick, episode six? Wait a minute. Yeah, we yeah. Speaking of Nick. Nick. Oh. Okay. I have a very spicy podcast for y'all. So we had two guests, Nicholas Velasquez, Matthew Becerra, on two of our episodes, and they decided to collaborate and start their own podcast. Yes. Security and Spirits. So that is on Spotify and that is also on Apple Podcasts. So shout out to uh, Security and Spirits. They shouted us out on their first episode as inspiration, which that's actually huge for us because if we're inspiring you guys to create something like a podcast or something else, like that's huge to us. That really gives us more morale to continue what we're doing. So we greatly appreciate any any and all support, but Security and Spirits, y'all. Go check it out. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Nicholas Velasquez and Matthew Becerra. Popping off with that, dude. The first episode was amazing, and hopefully they continue to go up from here. And where can you go but up, honestly? Yeah, yeah. They're just going to improve and improve and improve. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely a cool podcast. I listened to the first episode 
for the for the most part, and they talk a lot about foreign policy. So if you want to if you want to learn a lot about the Middle East and what's happening now, maybe Biden's foreign policy. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, briefly about it in this episode, but that's what they're focusing on on their entire podcast. So we definitely encourage you guys to check them out. And yeah, as Gannon said, I mean, they're definitely going to go up from there. And I, I see I see Gannon is prepared for this episode. He has a, like how he was saying, he has a nice glasses on. He has a new microphone. Shout out to the new microphone, Getty. Uh, sponsor us if you're, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Let's just hope that I don't have to leave because of a fire drill. Oh yeah, that oh we didn't even address that last episode. No. Last episode with Manumio, the the guy we met at Bri- from Bridge USA. In the middle of the podcast, Gannon had a fire drill. Unfortunately, it's it was out of our control. We're not blaming anyone. It was unfortunate because we wanted Gannon to speak a bit more in that podcast about the capital rights and all that. But we always have new podcast episodes, and Gannon's always gonna be here. That's very much. Uh, one in a lifetime, not one in a lifetime, but an anomaly for that to happen in the middle of a podcast when it hasn't happened or hasn't happened as much before. Um, but yeah, I mean, with that being said, so with the Biden presidency, let's talk about the executive orders he's he's done, or or let's let's not even talk about the specific ones, but the fact that he's done a lot of executive orders compared to previous presidents. What do you, what do you mm-hmm. think of that? Because I feel like a lot of people are either criticizing him or they're trying to justify it. Because when I was seeing the executive orders, I, I see things that he has already promised. Not many things are surprises, but I feel like the number of executive orders is what maybe scares people or pulls them away and leads them to criticize him. And I feel like when in reality, people should be focusing on what he's actually doing, which a lot of it is not a shock. And if you disagree with him, it was it was already things that he had been promising for his campaign. So I feel like for people to be focusing on the numbers specifically and may, may, even a, a far right. I, I believe you were talking to me about this a few days ago or someone was talking to me about this, about a far right congresswoman that, that, that wanted to impeach Biden for the simple fact of the executive orders, which is insane, you know? Yeah. So it's really interesting when you think about it, because as you said, Brian, there are a lot of executive orders that President Biden has signed, which that that still is not sunk into my head yet. You know, I'm still used to saying President Trump, but it'll be it'll be a minute before President Biden sinks in. It's it's coming soon. Trust me. But, you know, he was inaugurated January 20th, 2021, and it was a peaceful transition power. Well, unless you count the capital riots, then no, it really wasn't. But anyway. You know, great, great inauguration ceremony. I had my, you know, my praises and critiques of it, but that's just with anything in life. So with, again, with Biden, a lot of the executive orders that he passed, he promised throughout his campaign, consistently promised. And a lot of the executive orders that he signed was to essentially reverse many of the Trump executive orders that he signed, right? And when in 2017, Trump had gotten through his first two weeks in office, he had signed more executive orders than any past president in U.S. history. Biden, in his first two weeks, topped that. He has signed a total of 24 executive orders and with, a, with the potential of signing maybe 50, or almost 50 executive orders around that. So one of the executive orders that I, I went, of course, doing research for this podcast, I, I did my research on Washington Post and then a couple other websites as well. 
But what the Washington Post did, it's a really good article. They pretty much organized the top supported or executive orders that President Biden has signed thus far. And the executive order that has the most support is in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which still raging on. So the executive order is essentially a federal mask mandate in response to the COVID pandemic. This pretty much is implying that all federal buildings and federal government institutions within Washington, D.C. and whatnot, and again, federal buildings like Capitol buildings across the, across the U.S. and whatnot, it requires everyone to be wearing a mask at all times, of course, to prevent the spread of coronavirus. And in that executive order also outlined a requirement of wearing masks in international airports and air, airplanes, which that was already, you know, I've traveled a couple of times before here and there. I've flown a few times within the COVID pandemic. Yeah, yeah you are required too. to wear. Yeah, you are required to wear a mask on that plane and you were required to wear a mask in the airport. So but it's good that he kind of that Biden's like, yes, I want this emphasizing to be it. Important. Yeah, exactly. It's very important. So that's one executive order that he did. That was very I mean, again, that got a huge amount of support. So that's probably the one executive order that was almost unanimously agreed on. It should be unanimously agreed on, but it's not, which that's fine. It's your opinion. If yeah, you yeah. Disagree with it. So, uh, but yeah, that's the one executive order that I wanted to talk about. And then we'll kind of emphasize it more later. So yeah, before I move on to you, Brian, we're going to spend the majority of the episode talking about Biden's executive orders because that has been the majority of this presidency within the last two weeks. So, and that's really what has been the highlight of it. And then we'll kind of spend a few minutes talking about the other stuff. So, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. And I, I agree that the COVID pandemic response to it, at least people want, people want the virus to end. People want the pandemic to end. It's been almost a year. I believe it was the mid middle of March where it really hit us as a country and where we're going to lock down and all of that. And I feel like after 10 months, <laughs> of reopening are we reopening are we not reopening are we wearing a mask are we not wearing a mask are we social distancing well i hope you're doing everything of those yeah, i mean it if you if we reopen then i of course you can go out but i feel like a lot of people just want someone who is uh taking it uh very seriously and I, he has done a lot of things not only the the mass mandate as you were saying but i was looking at at a bunch of his executive orders and he's there, there's a lot that had to do with the pandemic right so it's, it's crazy to see that if you maybe take out the pandemic executive orders, he has maybe like a, a little a little less than like 20 executive orders because he a lot of it was mainly towards the COVID pandemic, such as what I was reading is he wanted to promote data driven responses. So pretty much backed up by scientific research, uh, perhaps the pharmaceutical companies that have been working on the vaccines and also the clinical trials that have been taking place how reliable they are and all of that. And then also the expanding the access of, of COVID treatments and all of that. But there's, a, there's many things that he's trying to do. And also economically as well, right? The economic relief, uh, he's working on stimulus packages with the executive orders and uh, also increasing the unemployment benefits for people who may not be able to work during the COVID pandemic. I mean, it's a lot of things uh, and requiring... Uh, masks for the federal buildings i mean it, it, it's it's a portion of it and a majority of it is leading towards uh preventing the spread and continuing to battle this yeah i mean you're exactly right man it's like again and that again that was one of the executive orders that he had that was almost unanimous right 
And as you said, the majority of his executive orders surrounded the COVID pandemic because, again, that was probably the biggest issue that he had going into this presidency. How are you going to be different from President Trump in combating the coronavirus pandemic? But not only did he address COVID, he addressed a variety of issues. And to say that his first two weeks of his presidency was productive would be an understatement. Severely would be, actually. So one of the... uh, One of the executive orders that he had was in, remember during Trump's presidency, DACA, right? The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Act, the Dreamers. Trump had essentially wanted to deport those those children, right? Those Dreamers. Um, But instead, Biden went back and reversed that and pretty much fortified President Obama's, right? Because this was, this was, DACA was an Obama executive order. Right. And Trump wanted it gone. But Biden continued to preserve that. And he that's one of his big plans, which, of course, if you don't know what that is, it's executive action, which prevents the deportation of undocumented immigrants who arrived as children, which I mean, it's your interpretation of how you want to put it. But that's that's one thing that Biden got a lot of support on. Another executive order that Biden went after. And this was to, again, reverse one of Trump's policies was Trump had stirred controversy in 2017. I think this was 2017, 2018. He pretty much banned transgender Americans from serving in the military. Mm -hmm. And Biden reversed that. And then he also in 2017, one of Trump's earliest executive orders, and I remember this very well because of how much controversy this stirred, was Trump's travel ban to all to to Muslim countries, right? And having those people from those countries come to the US. Biden reversed that, right? And um, well, some of the major, um, some of the other major executive orders that I want to discuss, we'll talk about when we discuss his foreign policy. But he, Biden has been very productive in his presidency so far because, and he's, he's maintained his campaign promises because of the power of the executive order. And as you said, there was a congresswoman from Georgia who brought up an article of impeachment on Biden because not only does she believe that the election was rigged in favor of Biden, right, but also because he, she, because of the many executive orders that Biden had pressed on for. So, and, and it's really brought up a legitimate question among conservative circles, how much is enough, Right. How much is how mu- how many executive orders is enough for Biden to really abuse his power? Because as you know, an executive order is it's a president's directive. Because as you know, the legislative branch, they're the they are the branch that comes up with the laws, the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, and then as they pass through Congress, that goes to the president, in which he is the final say in it, and he signs that. Right? He's got the power to veto it if there's something in there he did he doesn't like. Right. And Congress mm-hmm. will go to vote on that. And once the president signs that into into law, that's it. And because of the many Trump policies that Biden had promised to reverse, that is why he's used and he has had so many executive orders within his first two weeks of the presidency. So it's very intriguing when you look at what he's done as president so far. And some people wonder, is he going to continue this up? Probably not, because a lot of, again, a lot of his campaign promises have been on the fact of reversing and have blo- been blocking Trump executive orders. And he has not backed down from that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's, what, that's why I was saying in the beginning that instead of focusing maybe on the amount 
the numbers of executive orders that Biden has signed, it's better to see what he has actually done. And of course, if he if he was campaigning and, and promising something that would actually be an abuse of power, then in that case, we would question some of his executive orders. But a lot of what his executive orders have done are stuff that he has promised and things that were actually existing before the Biden presidency, before the Trump presidency, as a matter of fact. So, for example, I mean, you, you said a few things, but also the the Paris Climate Agreement, re-entering the Paris Climate Agreement, which obviously was something that ob- under the Obama years, we were under the Paris Climate Agreement. So it's nothing that is out of the ordinary. He's just, I think the primary focus of that is is pretty much reversing a lot of what Trump has done. And and I want to mention something that you said about the transgender military ban, because not only did he do that, but he also just outright, he pretty much banned the discrimination of gender identity and sexual orientation as a whole, which is something that we actually saw in a Supreme Court case where I believe they expanded Title VII or Title IX to include gender discrimination and sexual identity right as a form of discrimination and you can uh that would be against that specific law uh, against businesses and for me i mean you know i never believe anyone should not have a specific right should not have a specific uh ability to to do something that a regular citizen should be able to do and it doesn't matter if it includes your gender discrimination your race ethnicity all of that but I, I want to talk about this specifically and, and kind of hear your thoughts as well is uh, kind of like the exceptions, because I feel like there are certain exceptions with this. I mean, we saw that there was a Supreme Court case a few, I, I believe it was a few years ago or a year ago, two years ago, about the Christian cake shop and how they didn't want to bake a cake for a gay couple. And then in the Supreme Court case, they actually ruled for the religious beliefs of the person rather than the the person who was actually gay and whether I, I, that got a lot of backlash and let's not, let's not lie. It, it got a lot of backlash, but I do believe there are certain cases where it, it's, there's more of a gray area where it's not as absolute, if that makes sense, because that was very controversial. It wasn't. So it's like, well, it's not about, um, it's not about treating you differently. It's just about my religious beliefs. I can't, I, I can't uh, like some people have a conviction that they just can't, do something like that, if that makes sense. And then also, for example, in the sports industry, where with transgenders, it becomes very complex, where it's like maybe they have a biological advantage. And actually, specifically with the ban of discrimination, of of gender discrimination that Biden signed, a Texas lawmaker, he actually, uh, he actually responded to this and he went against with what Biden said to protect women's sports in a specific athletic league or whatever and whether or not that comes to pass i mean i think that has some sense to it and i do believe that there are certain provisions if that makes sense that should be made to certain industries because it's not necessarily about the fact that they are transgender that they identify as this or that it's more about the competitiveness of the sport and we've actually seen various examples of transgender people who join sports and then join the sport that they identify as, but then are biologically the opposite. And then they dominate in that sport, particularly male individuals and male individuals, just because biologically they tend to be more 
of ha- have a higher physical stature. They tend to be a bit stronger, and they just tend to have a physical advantage over women. And that's not that's not discrimination. That's just the fact. Because if not, we would have men and women competing in sports as well. You know, so. Do you mean competing together on that? Point? Yeah, yeah, competing together. And yeah, that's actually that's also a very good point, right? That you made. Um, because I did I did see that as well, and I. I figured, okay, Brian's probably going to cover this, right? If I talk about transgender, you know, transgender sending the military, he'd probably cover, yeah, there's, you can't discriminate anyone on the basis of their sexual orientation or their sex, you know, their sexuality. Can't do that, right? And, you know, that, and that's kind of my philosophy. Like, if you treat me with respect, I'll treat with you with respect. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what ethnicity you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what sexuality or sexual orientation you are, Right. If you treat me with respect, I will treat you with respect. That's just how I am as a person. That's how I was raised. That's how yes. you should be raised. Golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. But that's, <laughs> and of course, again, that's something that Biden has really gone after. And he's been, one of his things for his presidency is to kind of be the opposite of Trump. Kind of this grab, attention-grabbing president, right, who just is looking for publicity, right? And looking for controversy, right? And again, not bashing President Trump, but he did that very well for his campaign. And he also, he made himself very relevant in the news media. He really did. That's true. Now you can't say, now you can say all you want and have your opinions on President Trump, right? But you, there's one thing you can't deny and it's the fact that he stayed relevant. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Biden, on the other hand, you're not gonna, like he's obviously gonna remain relevant because- I mean, he's the president of the United States, right? But he isn't going to be the attention grabber. He isn't going to be the, oh, let me get as much controversy, stir up as much controversy as he can. Like he's going to do that among conservative circles because he's a Democrat. Yeah, they're going to disagree. Right. Ben Shapiro, for example, he's been very critical of the Biden administration and he's called it radical. And it's, I really haven't seen too much yet to justify it being radical. But again, if that's your interpretation of radicalness then, and rash, uh, or of irrational, that's fine. Any interpretation works. I like yeah, what Biden's to, to doing so far. Own. Right. I like what Biden's doing so far. I mean, and he, like, again, a lot of what the executive orders he's passed is to reverse Trump policies. But when it comes to bigger ambitions that his campaign has set out, how is that going to translate, right, with Congress in general, right? With the House of Representatives, the House still has a majority, but conservatives actually took up more seats back this this election. And of course, the Senate is split 50-50, but with Kamala Harris being the president of the Senate, it's a Democratic majority. So Biden is going to have, it's going to, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy for him, but it's going to be, It's there's going to be some challenge from conservatives on within both chambers. And it's very important to take that into account, especially if it's a policy that is skewed more to the left, if that makes sense, Brian. Yeah. But we'll just see kind of it's very important to be telling and to kind of keep a close eye on like what Biden is going to do next, because you truly never know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the first two weeks of his presidency is not necessarily his. Well, we're seeing glimpses of it, but it's not his overall plan on how to fix the economy and how to uh, increase our uh, our legislation on climate change, right? And then all, all of uh, a lot of things, he being more, uh, I guess, open for immigration and all of that. So those are certain things that he wants to do. And I feel like what he's starting off right now is setting up a foundation 
for what he's going to do next. And whether or not you agree with him, uh, nothing that has happened as of yet has come as a surprise, as we were talking about. And uh, with immigration, of course, he one of his executive orders was halting the, the funding and the building of the, the wall of, in the U.S. southern border. But one thing that, that was interesting, right, because a lot of people, let's say mainly conservatives, will take this as face value and be like, oh, he wants open immigration. He just wants every, any, everyone to come to the country. And also specifically with, with the Muslim, reversing the Muslim ban. But what, in one of his executive orders that he emphasized that he still wants to be strict on national security and national, uh, just national security in general and the ability for people to enter the U.S. I feel like at the end of the day, he wants to put a trust into the naturalization process into the immigration process that we have here in the United States and also better enforcing it, but maybe not in the approach that Trump took it. And I feel like a lot of conservatives will take that as a complete opposite of Trump and they'll just criticize him for not being as strict with immigration as Trump was when in reality, it could just be a balance, right? Where he wants to increase the quality of, of the immigration officers and increase the security, but just in different ways that Trump wanted to as well. Um, so that's definitely one thing that he was trying to emphasize in his executive orders. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's very, I mean, it's very intriguing and it's, it's way too early to tell how Biden's presidency is going to be right. And again, it's your interpretation on whether he's doing a good job or not. We're not trying to say, Oh yeah, Biden's doing a great job or, Oh, Biden's doing a terrible job. Right. We're not trying to say that we're just trying to present you the facts and what he's done so far is president, right. With it, with a little twist of our opinions in there, you know? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> one of the key one of the key factors and one of the key campaign promises that Biden, the Biden administration is going to heavily address is our, the, our country's response overall to climate change. And one of the things like that you, you mentioned earlier, and we'll discuss more of it on uh, foreign policy, there really isn't too much to discuss here. Paris Climate Agreement, right? Trump yeah. had pulled out of it at May 2017, and Biden vowed to rejoin it. And within literally the same day he was inaugurated, he signed an executive order rejoining or looking to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords. And one of another another thing, major thing that he did, that Biden did so far to con con combat that was to halt the construction of the Keystone Pipeline. And I mean, it's of course it's a dicier move, uh, according to Washington Post, but it pretty much it's canceling the it's canceling the pipeline, like the construction of the pipeline, and then also halting the plans to construct the Dakota Access Pipeline. So this was this was very fundamental to Biden's climate policies. And again, this is just the start of it. This is just the foundation. This is just the base of it, like you said, Brian. Um, so it's very it's going to be very intriguing to discuss this. And also, a last two two last executive orders I want to discuss too before we move on. One executive order that Biden signed was pretty much revoking Trump's executive order, which was withholding funding, right, as you said, for the construction wall, but also pretty much reversing the Trump policy that withheld funding from sanctuary cities. And then, and then it is also prioritizing immigration enforcement over other like other goals like that was that was a that was an executive order Trump had and Biden essentially just cut it. And then one thing that Biden and Trump see out of eye on is. America first, right? Now, now hear me out here. 
Trump had his way of going about America first, but Biden has a different approach. And what I mean by this is he had an executive order, which by American and pretty much what it does is it reduces obstacles for citizens uh, and uh, which it reduces obstacles to federal purchases of domestic goods. So Biden is one of those people where it's just like, yeah, we need to buy American. And that's, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in our country would agree with, yeah, we need to start buying more American products. So, because it's going to be, it's expensive to import those products from other countries, such as China, such as Russia, such as Germany, for example. So if we, if we're able to create American products and continue that, it should be a lot cheaper for us. And then we would get money back in return for exports if we look to trade those. And again, we'll discuss those more in foreign policy. Yeah. Not this episode, but if there's like a big trade thing or a big export slash, yeah, trade economic thing internationally that Biden's going to do within the next four years, we'll discuss that in a future episode. So, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like what you're saying about uh, America first. I mean, obviously, obviously during the, the COVID pandemic, I'm sure he wants to emphasize and uh, focus primarily on the domestic businesses and wanting to build up again small businesses that were hurt because of the pandemic and also people who were just not able to continue working and all of that. And I feel like that's that's part of the, the short term of his presidency. And when you're saying about uh, America first, is, it's funny because it, it, when you say America first, it's so, it's so polarizing. I feel like people people can think so many different things about it because a lot of people may think maybe on like the left, they think, oh, it's just an umbrella term for like conservative policies and all of that. It's that a, They heavily disagree right. with. Yeah, pretty much. And it, obviously it was pretty much an umbrella term that Trump used during his presidency that maybe had justified uh, getting out of the Paris Climate Accords where he was trying to talk about how. He was he wants to emphasize the jobs of natural resources, of getting natural resources and fracking and all of that, where the Paris Climate Agreement may have been hurting in that area. And it's also the fact that I was thinking about the Biden presidency and he wants to focus on not a climate change plan that will increase the amount of workers. Right. So for me, I'm like, it, it, it makes sense if you're going to if you're going to limit something in an industry to then to then have more jobs in another industry. And I feel like if Biden is going to take the climate change plan in this way, then maybe people may see, okay, if it's done this way, and maybe with the doubts or concerns that Trump had about the Paris Climate Accords, instead of maybe leaving the Paris Climate Accords, uh, going in it and then renegotiating with some of these countries, renegotiating some of these plans that they have to lower the carbon emissions or uh, lower the temp- the amount of temperature that the earth is increasing, right? Uh, I believe it's their, their goal is, uh, I believe, to not go over two degrees Celsius. I, I believe that's what their primary goal is that they're driven by. And I feel like a- as long as people see it that way, you can still put America first and do these kind of certain things. Now, obviously, I don't know what it, how it's going to turn out. No one knows how it's going to turn out. I mean, it could be it could be a failure. It could be a success or it could be down in the middle. It could have its pros and cons. I mean, everything that happens in the presidency, it's always going to have its pros and cons. It's always going to have their disagreements always. Uh, but I always hope for the best. I, I hope that he has a great presidency. And I hope that with these executive orders and the climate change uh, plans that he has, that I guess that he's able to combat it and he's able to create new jobs. I, of course, everyone would desire that from a president. We can only hope. And I'm sure, it'll, you know, he'll do his best. Yeah, exactly. 
And I mean, with the Biden presidency, like we said, I mean, he's pretty much fulfilling his promises and whether or not you agree with it, there's nothing out of the ordinary that we have seen. And the growing concern has been more of a number than the actual tangible and legible executive actions that he has actually taken. And I feel like when you look at it, it's more reasonable. It's like, oh, well, he promised all of this. And I know I, I know I disagree with it, but like, what are you going to expect from someone who promises for his campaign? You know, it's, it's like if Trump, like what Trump did in his presidency, like a lot of people may have disagreed with him building the wall with him, uh, you know, having all these executive orders. Right. But if he promised that it's expected and it may not be something of too much concern that for people saying that it's an abuse of power. I mean, we're going to have to wait for a specific situation uh, for that to actually uh, be the case. Uh, but I'm not sure if you want to mention anything other for Biden, but no. <laughs> well, we, we honestly, we covered a lot. And honestly, this is, of course, the two, the first two weeks of his presidency. And we're just covering the basics. We're covering the foundation of his presidency. We're covering what he has already done, what he promised and what he has actually done. Because maybe now we know, maybe if he promises something in the future, it may come to pass. You know, it's kind of like seeing the reliability of the president whether or not we agree with it. And also another thing I wanted to mention that has less to do with the Biden administration, but also brings up a curiosity on how they're going to react to this. Something that has been happening with the stock market, and I'm sure you've been hearing about it with GameStop. Field. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have been hearing GameStop, AMC, the stock market, Reddit, Robinhood, all of this, all of that. And to be honest, I'm not, an expert on this but i do know a little bit i do i do know certain things about e-trading and about the stock market and if you don't know what's been happening i i know i know gannon uh, i'm he's heard of it but i feel like i need to explain it or elaborate on it a bit more also for you guys it's okay well. if you don't know about it i'm pretty stupid about this as well this is why brian's completely covering this <laughs> section like i said not an expert and i just i just know a little bit of the situation but pretty much what has happened because a lot of people are like, they're hearing this and they may not know what to do. Some people are investing in the GameStop. Do I invest? Do I not? Do I invest in the in the DOJ coin or something like that? I don't know. A lot of people are doing crazy things in these times because they want to earn money. <laughs> this is obviously an opportunity to earn money. Uh, but what has happened is pretty much it, a few days ago, or I, I believe it was a few days ago. What had happened with GameStop specifically is that these certain investors... They pretty much have hedge funds towards a business. And what that pretty much means, right? To have a hedge fund, you have to have a certain amount of investments. You have to be at a certain level, economically speaking, for you to have that hedge funds towards a business, right? So these are people who are most likely millionaires, if not billionaires, who have these hedge funds for GameStop. And what do these hedge funds do? What these hedge funds that they're providing for GameStop, it, what it pretty much means is that they're, they're betting against the business, right? They're betting so that GameStop could go out of business, right? And what happens when billionaires are investing huge amounts of money into the stock market, betting that GameStop will go bankrupt, for example, that lowers the stock price of GameStop. And it actually does lead them to go out of business. It's a strategic move because a lot of these people, they eventually want to overtake the businesses. They eventually want to 
buy GameStop and then own it themselves, right? They want to take it out of business. It's a very strategic long-term move by very rich people. <laughs> like I said, a probably billionaire class, right? And so what had happened with this specific hedge fund, right? A lot of people who were investing in the stock market and with GameStop specifically, they got mad, right? <laughs> like they pretty much the average person, the average college kid, the average uh, adult, like the average middle class, working class person, right? They gathered up in a Reddit thread. I believe that's how you call it. And they all mm -hmm. agreed to buy stocks and to buy options in the GameStop market. And so with that being done, the people who were betting against GameStop to go, not, where they were betting for GameStop to go bankrupt, they can no longer do that because now a bunch of people agreed to be investing in GameStop and that increased the stock price by a few hundred percentages. I mean, maybe even a thousand. I don't know the specific number. And so there's been this battle between those two things happening. And of course, this wasn't the area of concern just yet. For rich people, for the people investing for GameStop to go bankrupt, whether or not you agree with that, you know, they, this has been happening for, for a few days now. What it, what it really caught the eye to the individual, to the average person, and how it became headline news all of a sudden, is that Robinhood decided, Robinhood is this platform that allows you to do trading with different stocks, with different uh, companies and all of that. They pretty much blocked out the trading of GameStop and AMC stocks. So they literally prevented people from buying the GameStop. So they were indirectly helping the people with hedge funds, the billionaires that were <laughs> investing in the stock market, right? So a bunch of people, the average people got super mad at it because it almost seems close to illegal. I don't know the specifics about it, but in my eyes, it seems close to illegal what has happened because it seems like Robinhood is sort of a, a, a business or a, at least a, a benefit that they would gain from GameStop going bankrupt, from people going against GameStop, right? Wanting it to go bankrupt. They have sort of a, a benefit to it. And that's probably why they, they blocked it, right? And so what it's raised the concerns of a lot of people to get back to governments, the United States. Well, what, this is the stock market. What does that have to do with the government, right? The government, we don't know how they're going to respond because some people in Congress hold those hedge funds, right? Hold, are, some people in, the, in Congress are those people who are actually going against GameStop or several companies for that matter. So it's like this battle of vested interests in the government and the people who just want to trade and are trying to have an equal opportunity. But then when Robinhood, the platform, is preventing them from doing so, we don't know if there, there will actually be a government response from it. And I'm not sure who's specifically in charge of the stock market, but it seems like the, the battle is the vested interest of the government that could keep them from suing Robinhood or, or putting these, holding these companies accountable, holding these platforms accountable that, that do e-trading so that people can have the equal opportunity to trade in these stocks, right? So, I mean, that's pretty much what has been happening. I've been talking for a minute now, but it's definitely something that we got to see how it turns out. We don't know how the Biden administration will respond to this. 
And with the press secretary, it seems like she's been circling around the question, as many people have said, many memes I've seen on Instagram have said. <laughs> Jen Pesaki, I think his name, her name is. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't gotten a really clear response of how the government is going to respond to this. Uh, they did say, though, that they were going to look into it. I did read an article on that. Well, hopefully they do. Hopefully they do. And reading into it, maybe it leads to a response. Maybe it doesn't. But it is a big deal. And we don't know how it's going to resort. How do, We don't know how the people will respond. I mean, if the people can't trade, I mean, you're blocking the people from trading and you're allowing these billionaires to overtake the market overtly because Robinhood legit prevented GameStop people from trading and all of that. It, it, it can create a problem economically and for people trading in the stock market in general because a lot of people lost money trading into GameStop hoping that it would continue going up and then now they can't trade anymore and the stock price is going down again. So it's like, what vested interests do these people have with the billionaires? Are they part of those hedge funds that are going against the business? Like it's, it's a lot of crazy stuff and it's very interesting. So I just don't take it from me. Look into it, do your own research. I'm not talking to only Gannon. I'm talking to the audience because it's a very interesting subject. And of course, it's not only the Biden administration to respond. I just want to know what government officials in general think about this Congress, Congress people. And it almost seems like maybe not a lot is going to happen, which is scary. But it's definitely a big deal that people should be focusing on. I would figure that at least especially for something as big as this, they'll, Congress will probably look into it very soon, just as with big tech and all that. Speaking of big tech, did you know Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO of Amazon? I just, I, th that happened today as we're recording this February 2nd. And it's just like, what? It's, Mind it's blown. unexpected. Unexpected. Yes. So Man, we really got to see with the whole how GameStop this situation whole turns out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. But with this GameStop situation, we just, we'll kind of see what develops again. As I said, the Biden administration is looking into this, but I'm pretty sure if this gets to a point where Congress has to get involved, they probably will. So We'll see what happens. But the last part of this episode, finally, the most interesting part of this episode, I'm just kidding, not yet, is the foreign policy of Are you Joe sure Biden. about that? Whoa, he said that, okay. <laughs> anyway, with the Biden administration, right, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is foreign policy. And the it's very intriguing so far because, right, not much has gone on or much has gone on. I don't care how you interpret it, but there, really, of course, within two weeks, there hasn't been too much that's happened that has been able to define and to make sure that like Biden's foreign policy is concrete. It's not there yet. It's still cementing as we know it. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is Myanmar. So February 1st, there was a, there was a military coup in Myanmar. It was a coup d'etat. That's what they call it. They were pretty much the military of Myanmar went and ousted the de democratic leaders in Myanmar who happened to be the ruling party. So they they're called the National League of Le National League for Democracy. So that party was in power in Myanmar. And on February 1st, the military went in and pretty much arrested the leaders. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, I think her, her name is. And pretty much what happened was the military pretty much took over the government. And now it is currently a stratocracy. And they said that they were going to be there for a year. 
Joe Biden responded to this by condemning them and then threatening to impose sanctions on the perpetrators. And they pretty much it, that pretty much is under review, which I'm fully expecting sanctions uh, on behalf of the Biden administration on Myanmar, because this is I mean, this is very serious. And this, again, is showing that like one of the things that Biden and his campaign promises to take back and to lead the the West. And, me, and by what I mean by that is pretty much enforcing and trying to ensure that we other countries who aren't democracies yet can follow suit. And Myanmar was on that track. Of course, the Democratic Party in Myanmar was the ruling party until yesterday. Now it's a stratocracy. So what Biden is going to have to do is he's going to have to be tough on Myanmar, right? He's going to have to impose sanctions on on the military there because they're I mean they're they're the ones in control right now and they it was not democratic what they did, uh, very authoritarian. So another thing that was very important, right, that I wanted to talk about was, so today, as we record this, Alexei Navalny, you may have heard that name of the news before, but he is pretty much the Russian opposition leader. He has pretty much been organizing protests in Russia, which his objective is to pretty much oust Putin from the Kremlin. And he he's an anti-corruption activist. He came to international pro- prominence, again, organizing demonstrations and then running against Putin, Vladimir Putin, for the uh, for being the prime minister of Russia. And today he was sentenced to three. Th- all these news media say two and a half years to three and a half years. I'm going to go on, a, on out on the limb and say three years. He was sentenced to three years for his crimes there. And he was also poisoned, I believe, earlier last year because of what he was trying to do in Russia. Right. He's trying to bring democracy to Russia, which that's insane. Yeah, it's it is insane. And he, again, was arrested for three years for that. So who knows what will happen? But it's just very important that, you know, it's just something I figured I'd bring up. And then on on the same topic of Russia, pretty much in 2010. Right. And I and I have some background on this before I get to what Biden did. So in 2010, President Obama and met with Russia and they pretty much agreed on an agreement to reduce nuclear arms, right? And they call this the New START Treaty, 2002 New START Treaty. And it pretty much is a nuclear arms reduction treaty. Um, and of course, the, you know, the objective is to start denuclearizing because at this point in time, right, you remember in the Cold War and throughout history that the U.S. and the USSR were ramping up nuclear weapons like crazy in anticipation for a nuclear war. But ever since the USSR collapsed, it's just been a constant reduction of nuclear arms at that point. Yeah. And when Biden took office, Russia had urged the new administration to take a constructive re- approach in extending this treaty. And within less than a week later, Biden on a phone call with Putin agreed to extend the treaty by five years. So because if he hadn't done that, it would have ex- fired this month actually so wow. it's very interesting to see what had happened there but you know it's good that at least for us the u.s and russia are kind of on terms of reducing nuclear arms whether that holds up is to be determined so and then yeah. last but not least china oh so as everyone knows china is what is of course trump had the trade war with china trump was very aggressive on china and biden has a different approach he fully believes that he wants to be aggressive on China to push China, but he disagrees with the way that Trump approached it, 
Right, of course, Biden doesn't agree with the trade war at all. Like he never did. And pretty much he has criticized Beijing for being deeply authoritarian, which that's true. I mean, they are a communist nation. And he be- he is also criticized them for stealing over a million manufacturing jobs from Americans, breaking international trade regulations, unfairly subsidizing Chinese corporations and stealing intellectual property from U.S. firms and then discriminating against them. And as you know, Brian, I'm not sure if you've heard, and excuse me if I mispronounce this, but right now, and it's not talked about as much, and it should be, I want to bring awareness to this issue. Mm-hmm. You, I think it's Uyghur Muslims, if I'm not mistaken. They're pretty, yes. The Chinese government is pretty much committing genocide against Uyghur Muslims and placing them in concentration camps. Not much has been done to talk about it, but the Trump administration had outlined the, the, this being a genocide, and Biden's administration completely agreed with this. So they are pretty much find, figuring out a way to combat this and to be like, how are we going to deal with this situation, right? So where, China, where, Biden, where the Biden administration stands on China is, I mean, again, they want to be able to be aggressive with China, but of course they don't agree with the approach that the Trump administration had on them. And how are they going to figure out how they're going to potentially stop this genocide if they're going to, or to condemn China for this genocide, or if they're going to do any other actions such as imposing sanctions or whatnot, or pulling out U.S. companies from China? They they could also do that. So yeah, it's very intriguing. But this is again, this is two weeks into Biden's presidency, and these were prop. These are three of the biggest issues right now that he wanted to address. So overall, like he pretty much wants to as well. I just, and this is, this is very minimal, pretty much promise Biden promised to end forever wars, which if you want to refer to the war in Afghanistan, you could go that route as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Pretty much realign partnerships with NATO, for example. And then he uh, pretty much renewed, renewed commitment to arms control, which he already had with Russia with the 2010 new start agreement and then addressing climate change, which he, we had previously addressed with his executive orders, right? Stopping the Keystone Pipeline construction, and then also rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, which again, the latter was a very big key campaign promise that the Biden administration promised. And hey, they got an executive order and got it done. So it is, and again, Biden's foreign policy is not yet concrete. It's only two weeks into his presidency. I can, I cannot repeat that enough, but it is very, it'll be very telling to see where the Biden administration goes in terms of that, especially with China. Cause if there's one, if there's one country I'm interested in to see how he responds to them, it's China. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's Gannon's foreign policy segment on the podcast. <laughs> Not as good as our other guests. Trust me. <laughs> oh, uh, well, we're, we're learning. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing glimpses of his approaches on what he's doing in the, foreign policy aspect and it's crazy that two weeks in so much uh, it's so little uh, as Ghana was saying but honestly more than maybe people would look into uh has happened in the past the past two weeks and of course a presidency is going to last four years and we'll see how his foreign policy continues to extend and specifically with with China as, as you were saying you know he definitely critiqued Trump's approach uh, on being tough with China with just constantly imposing tariffs on one another, you know, hurting uh, the U.S. farmers that perhaps needed to send their goods to China, China and other nations as well. Um, but I hope this approach not only is tough with China, but also economically beneficial 
for domestic companies in the U.S. I mean, it's very good to see that he's prioritizing American, buying American goods and all of that. So definitely he's he's on the right track and there's definitely disagreements uh, and, and personal disagreements as well. Uh, but it seems like he's on the right track to what he wants to do, what he's desiring to do, and whether or not he takes radical approaches to certain things, whether or not he needs to do certain things that maybe were unexpected of his presidency. Uh, we have yet to see. It seems like he's, we're just seeing the impulses. We're seeing the glimpses of what, the way he would react to these certain things that is going on, specifically in foreign policy as well. Um, but yeah, well, we talked about a lot. This is a very productive episode. If you, if you think about it. It was. Yeah. Like, I mean, with, with this, because this episode was so productive, I want to thank the Biden administration for being as productive because this, they gave us a lot of content for today's episode. So, <laughs> right. It's like, um, no, no, no like he's you know, got a point. <laughs> they got it. But no, they, because of how productive this administration has been over the last two weeks, this gave us a very good episode and a lot to do research on. And there was a lot more that we could have included in today's episode, but let's be real. It would have been four or five hours long. So. Yeah, of course. And we're not experts. We're just two, some college kids giving our opinion yep. or maybe not giving our opinion, just giving the no. facts of what we know yep. about. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> and, and I believe that we're doing, we're, we're, we're just trying to inform you certain things that have happened. And of course, we actually were thinking of having a guest, like I said, this episode, but I think it was good to talk about what has been going on in the Biden presidency, which is crazy how Gannon was saying so much has happened in just two weeks in his presidency. And we're going to see how it goes from there. And then the next episode, we're definitely going to have a guest. And uh, we can't we can't say who it is. It's not confirmed yet, but we can definitely assure you that it will be a different person. Um, we're working to get this person. So we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. But but it could be big, could potentially be big. And if not, the, the, the whole whole 2020 year, 2021 year, I mean, we're going to be we're going to be expanding. We're going to be growing. We're going to be reaching out of our comfort zone, getting different guests. And, and uh, like I said before, if you haven't followed the Instagram, go ahead. I was about to say like and subscribe, yep. but don't like and subscribe unless until we have our YouTube channel, which is in the works. Follow our Instagram, like our posts, yep. comment on it, yep. share it to your friends, yep. all of that. Yep. And in the actually, what once something that we implemented in our episode descriptions is actually the link to every single uh, platform that we put our podcast in. So if you use that link in the description of the podcast, whether you're watching on Spotify or Apple or wherever, you're going to have that link and you can share it to anyone. It will hold all our episodes. So it doesn't, we don't need to update it. It's going to update by itself. So once you have that link, you can share it to whoever you want and expand the missing bridge community. But with that being said, anything else? Yes. So Follow the Instagram and make sure you definitely share this episode with your friends because not only does it expand the Missing Bridge community, but it also inflates mine and Brian's egos. Just kidding, no. <laughs> no, our, our goal, like I said, our goal is to provide an objective perspective, if you will, to a lot of what's going on in our country and to reunite the Missing Bridge. That is the goal of this podcast. So, yes. But yeah, I mean, if you do enjoy it and you think, oh, perhaps a family member of mine or a friend would enjoy this. 
please share it with them because again, this expands our community and it gets us on a bigger platform. So yes, exactly. But with that being said, share, follow Instagram and do what you got to do. Thank you for listening fully to this podcast episode. Stay tuned for the next two weeks. We might have a new guest and we hope you have an amazing day. Bye-bye.